his lips between thoughts, hands gripping each side of the podium over the profile of a hawk surrounded by laurel. These pauses are heavy with meaning, and you want to think this signifies that his words are heavy with meaning, that this is a man convinced of the truth of his own words. But again, with all that follows, you wonder. He proposes to right the wrongs of the comrade chairman. From 1945 to 1953, he explains, hundreds... No, thousands in our own dear land were wrongly jailed in tiny municipal prisons, in medieval dungeons, in the labor camps of the western provinces, under the express urging of the comrade chairman. No one in the committee chambers is hearing anything new, no one in the entire country. It's the telling, the act of speaking aloud that is new. The central committee chamber, all 236 men and women, is silent. Mihai's dark hair is mostly white. He's not the young partisan he once was. He sighs significantly and tells the chamber that he proposes to release all political prisoners, effective immediately. There is a polite pause. The room waits for a but or a however. The room erupts. Thunderous applause. A few stunned committee members, unsure, lag behind. Maybe they're wondering where they will be in this new world of prisoners in the streets. But then they're swept up in the wave of clapping hands. The domed ceiling rolls their applause back down at them, and that only heightens their fever. The noise rises, deafening. They're on their feet, stomping, clapping, shouting unintelligibly. And under this onslaught of approving mayhem, Mihai folds his speech in half, creases the edge, and slips it into a jacket pocket. In the newsreel, you can see the fatigue, wrinkles clear under the harsh lights, eyes weathered and sagging. Maybe he knows everything, all that will follow. The applause lasts a full seven minutes. There are wet eyes, yes, even tears. The amnesty has begun. Summer 1. Packing up the dacha was a simple, silent affair. Three weeks' worth of clothes, damp underwear still hanging from the back porch, pens and paper, and all the books. I saw Flaubert and Dostoevsky to the Skoda's trunk, then wedged my own novel beside them. The creased, sewage-colored paperback was a vainglory I still felt I could afford. Stories begin this way, with the mundane details. Underwear, books leaves. Because these are the irrefutable facts. They exist outside speculation. I'm in that dacha now, verifying everything, because while other points in time may be chosen, this is where my confession truly begins. Then there were the empty brandy bottles, clanking on their way to the car, two full boxes. Magda had helped out that first week, when the conversation sank into mute glances and nods, pouring whenever our glasses were low. But after she walked out, I had two weeks to tackle the bottles alone. A big, hulking 37-year-old, drinking brandy from tiny glasses, spending the days in front of blank sheets of paper at the table that looked out onto the dried forest, thinking only that, yes, my wife has finally left me. And each morning I woke with a stunned head and a pile of still-empty pages. Once everything was collected, I made the slow walk through the bedroom, living room, kitchen, 
I even looked in the fly-infested outhouse to be sure nothing was left behind. Methodical. This was the only way not to imagine her in the shadows and ignore the long walnut hairs left on the sofa. The kitchen stank of old spilled liquor and the occasional gusts of forest decay through the open windows. Lock the shutters, then the doors. No extended pause on the front steps, no reflections while looking back on her family's dacha, nervously adjusting my rings. It took a half hour to reach the main road, then I turned south, where the trees thinned into farmland and fields, and the sun caught on the dirty windshield. I tried in vain to dampen my mouth. Behind a detour, the road was torn apart, and an old woman poured a kettle of steaming tar into a hole, while other women, with kerchiefs on their heads, leaned on shovels and watched. The Skoda's engine sputtered when I went too fast, and I remembered Yorgi's comment when I'd first bought the car.